Good morning, everybody. God bless you. Wow, that was wonderful, wasn't it? Fantastic. That's it. Have a great day, man. (laughs) Thank you very much. No, we have a little bit to cover, about 6,000 years, so you need to buckle up. Do you guys like traveling? All right, do me a favor, close your eyes. I want you to think about being about 2,000 years ago in the temple in Jerusalem. I want you to think about being one of the apostles. And I want you to think about seeing fire come down from heaven and hearing a rushing mighty wind. Put yourself there, feel it, sense it. Be one of them for just for a moment. And then think about what they were thinking about. They're in a place called the temple, a place that had thousands of years of history with Israel, a sacred place, a place that Israel vested its heart in. Now, that temple had been built, rebuilt by Herod about 100 years before, and before that, about 500 years before that, it had been rebuilt Because King Cyrus said to the exiled Jews, you can go back and you can rebuild the temple, which they did. The temple had been destroyed, but then it was rebuilt in about 500 B.C. But it had been destroyed because what had happened? Israel had fallen away from their covenant relationship with God. Take yourself back to Moses and to coming through the Red Sea and being with Israel and having the law given to you and the building of a tabernacle where the glory of God dwelt, and then go forward a little bit and think about the temple where that same Shekinah glory dwelt in the tabernacle. This was the glory of God that had been in the hearts of Israel. It was the proof that he dwelled with them. Now take yourself back even before Moses. Go back to Jacob and the 12 tribes, Joseph in Egypt. Go back to Isaac the son of promise. Go back to Abraham, who God took with Sarah and took dead, deadness and made life, a promised seed. And go back before that, because Abraham was the fix of a problem that God summed up, that human beings had come to the point where every thought and intent of their heart was only evil continually. And that came out of a fallen race of people whose first two people who, you know, the first progeny of Adam and Eve, one was a murderer, killed his brother. Now go back to the Garden of Eden before that happened. Go back to the heart of God when he first placed human beings in the garden. Sense a rush of history because that is what we're part of. To this day, right this moment, we are in a rush of history. God's purposes across time. You can open your eyes if they're still closed. We're part of that current. We're not part of the chaos of the world. Now, that goes on around us all the time, and we've been part of it. We joined in that chaos. But what we are now is part of the purpose of the ages, the rush of history that has spanned time. Although human beings left the garden and ceased to be at the connection of heavens and earth, which God had created in Genesis 1, God never gave up on that. And he continued to connect heaven and earth. He continued to have purposes and plans that affected here on earth. And we are now affected by his purposes and plans. Affected in such an amazing way. We were called and he has rescued us out from the exercised power of darkness. And he has placed us into the kingdom of his dear son. Kingdom is a verb. 
It is not a noun. It's, it's, it's a rule. It's an authority that is wielded, and we are in that. So think about who you are. Think about what God has done through the sweep of history, and here we sit today, part of that current of history. Now with the Spirit of the living God dwelling in us. Can you feel it? Can you sense that you are a peculiar people? You are a chosen people. You have been called. You have been sanctified. You have been set out, set apart. Now let's read 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. We are the temple of the living God. That is not a metaphor. It's it's a reality that God is trying to explain to us. And it's not an easy thing to explain. It takes actually spirit to fully understand this. It has to reveal the truths in his words to us. So we fully understand what does this really mean? But this morning, let's just, let's see what God can do to enlighten the eyes of our hearts in this. Now the context for this being the temple of the living God goes back to some verses that I actually ended with a teaching in January. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. It says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, our earthly body, is destroyed, and we have, a, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. This was his purpose. He has prepared this for us. Think about that. The creator of the heavens and the earth, he has prepared us for this very thing. And he has given us the spirit as a guarantee, as a promise. It's a guarantee So we always are of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. To please Him. To love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength can also be phrased, we just want to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of you may receive, each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So that's a powerful verse, right? It's one that arrests your attention. So there is a day coming when, although there's no condemnation for us, true, there's going to be a day coming when what we do in this body is going to be assessed and things that are not in alignment with us being the eternal dwelling place of God are going to be removed. And isn't that going to be a great day? But what's also cool is on that day when things that we have done in this body that are pleasing to him will be acknowledged. There's a little motivation in that. One way that we can do things that are pleasing to God is in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 17. 
So we're following this section, then Paul gets into this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting, entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, because we have this message, and because the message is true, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Whoa! Fellow laborers with God, folks, and he is making our appeal, his appeal through us. That's how he's doing us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listen to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. Now this this is really interesting. Why is Paul citing Isaiah in this context? Why would he throw in an Old Testament verse when he's talking about a new covenant, reconciliation in Christ? Why is he throwing this in? Because if you understand what Paul, how he thought, in his mind, according to the scriptures, was preeminent, it was essential. It was supremely important. When he says, according to the scriptures, like Bob taught last week about 1 Corinthians 15, in accordance with the scriptures, Christ died for our sins. In accordance with the scriptures, he rose from the dead. Why is he citing these? Can't we just forget the Old Testament? Can't we just start with the Gospels and move into the letters and just blow off the Old Testament? Because wasn't it just a failed project anyway, and it ended and it's over, and God kind of forgot about it because now we're doing something new here? No, the sweep of history that we're in goes back to Genesis 1.1, and God does not ever, ever forget a covenant relationship. So it is really important to understand that Paul's theology includes the covenant promises God made in the Old Testament, but reframed in Jesus as the resurrected Messiah, through whom all people... Jew and Gentile, can be brought into the covenant of Abraham by the Spirit of the living Christ. If we miss this, if we don't understand this, we will miss the beauty of the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. He not only established a new covenant of the Spirit, but he fulfilled God's promises in Abraham for both Jews and Gentiles. We are sitting here today, we trace our relationship back to these promises to Abraham and his lineage. And then Paul goes a step further in bringing the, the Old Testament. 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 7, 1. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, 
and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, that's us, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Since we have these promises, we have these promises? I thought those were promises back to Israel. Why do we have those promises? Why is that for us today? Why is he writing this to Corinthians who are both Jews and Gentiles? It's because the Bible is a cohesive and coherent narrative. It is not a discontinuous story. There is discontinuity, I will will tell you that, because the covenant of the letter, of the law, didn't work. We needed a new covenant in Christ. But it doesn't mean that the the old covenant was was trashed, and God said, I'm not even going to honor it, I'm not even going to think about it anymore. No, it's been fulfilled. It's been made complete in Christ, and we have these promises. If we're going to understand how we can do the things in our current body that have eternal value, then we must connect our calling with the new covenant in Christ, but also with the covenant made in Abraham. It's important to think about the Bible as a narrative. And I've said that many times, but I'm going to say it again. Think of it as a narrative, as a story. It's God's purposes and plans spanned over time. And when you consider the narrative of the Bible, one theme that is clearly prevalent in the Bible is God's desire to dwell with us. Think about that. God, the creator of the heavens and earth, wants to dwell with us. And again, we, sometimes I think we, we either mystify that or we turn it into some sort of a metaphor that it's not real. Let me assure you, he is here right now. He's dwelling here right now. If you have any doubts about that, speak in tongues silently to yourself. Do you know what that shows you? That you are sitting at the connection of heaven and earth. The language you are speaking is given from heaven, not from you. You couldn't do that if you're not connected to heaven. And he dwells there, so he's here. (laughs) And it's always been his desire. This was first revealed in Genesis when God was described in Genesis 3 as walking in the garden of the cool of the day. Now, he was seeking Adam and Eve. What were they? Where were they? They were running away from his presence. So here we see a real problem. There's been a fall. Humankind is running away from the presence of God, who all he wants to do is dwell. And it says in Genesis 3, 8 through 10, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, And said to him, where are you? As if he didn't know. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Now he knew, he recognized the sound of God coming to dwell with him, coming to hang out. I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So now we have an issue here. God's desire to dwell with human beings has now been thwarted. Human beings by their free will said, I don't want to do that. And so now they are separate from God, and yet God has to fix this. So looking again at 2 Corinthians 6.16, it says, We are the temple 
of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That is from Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26, verse 3, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. This is Old Testament. This is Leviticus, right? This is, this is after the law has been given, and this is God's plea. Now, he has a people in the lineage of Abraham. He's given them a law. It's the Torah. It's his heart. It's the guidelines for this. If you would live this way, I can dwell with you. I can do that, which is what I want. It's my great desire to be with you. And he says, and this is his promise, if, you, if you'll do that, if you'll just observe these, these statutes and my commandments, I'll make my dwelling with you. And so you see in, uh, got to get my pages right. You see again how Paul is connecting this promise in Leviticus 26 back in 2 Corinthians 6, right? He's connecting them. He's saying, do you see the connection, guys? You know, this is, this is what I taught you. Paul was with them for two years. Do you think he might have taught the Gentiles a little bit about the Old Testament? Two years he was there. According to the scriptures, it was really important to him. He is connecting this promise to Israel with the believers who are one body in Christ. He is saying that God's promise to dwell with his people has come to pass through Christ by way of the Spirit. That's what he's saying here. This, this thing in Leviticus that he wants to do, it's happening. You are now the temple of the living God. Now, why would, that, why would that resonate? Well, if you're a Jew, that certainly would resonate with you. Like I said, if you were in the temple on the day of Pentecost, that place meant something. Thousands of years of legacy. If you were a Gentile and you've been taught, and you've accepted Christ, and now you've been taught by Paul for two years about what this whole thing is, how you're a child of Abraham, you also understood this. That to be called the temple of the living God meant something. It meant that he could dwell with us. In, in Exodus 31, verse 1, we see verses about building the tabernacle in the wilderness. And Lord, the and Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of this guy, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given him, given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. And then he explains everything that he wants them to make. And when they were done with that, it says in Exodus 40, the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled it, filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out, because that was God's sign, time to go. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire, fire was in it inside of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. 
God's presence was clearly seen by this glory that filled the tabernacle. A cloud by day, fire at night. When Solomon built the temple again, God again dwelled in that holy of holies in the middle of the temple. It says in 2 Corinthians 7, When now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the house. All the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Certainly he is good. Certainly his faithfulness is everlasting. Again, glory filling the house, fire coming down from heaven. But what happened? Israel failed to walk according to the covenant. And in Ezekiel 10, God's presence is removed from the temple. Imagine what that was like when Israel realized he's gone. He's not here anymore. He's not dwelling with us. There's no glory. There's no fire. There's, he's absent. He's left. But in Ezekiel 36, after this event, God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put, in, put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So here's a promise. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a spirit. I'm going to give you a new heart. Newness is what I'm promising, is what God is saying. And when that happens, I can dwell in you and be with you. Now, it didn't happen. Fifty years later, when Cyrus, the king of uh, Persia, or said that you can go ahead and go back and rebuild the temple. Well, they rebuilt the temple. God's presence didn't return. When Herod rebuilt the temple about 30 years before the birth of Christ, God's presence didn't return. So you've got almost 600 years of Israel waiting for Ezekiel 36 to come to pass. He hasn't come back. The God who has said to them, I want to dwell with you, isn't dwelling with them. And they're coming up with all sorts of ideas why that hasn't happened. There's all, if you want to look at the history of Israel in the time of Christ, there's all sorts of ideas about why he hasn't come back, come back at all. But we know he, you know, we know he did come back, because in John 1.14, the word, the logos, the plans, the purposes of God throughout history, all of that, all of that, all of his wisdom, all of his ideas, all of his heart became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God did return to Israel. He just didn't dwell in the Holy of Holies of the temple. He dwelled in the form of his only begotten Son. And God's glorious presence walked among people in the first century. 
but the glory of Christ, of Christ departed when he ascended. Now what? Well, prior to his ascension, what did he say to his apostles? He said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. So what did they do? They went to Jerusalem, and they went to the temple, where there were thousands of people, which is how you know they weren't in the upper room where they were living. There were thousands of people there gathered. Why? Because it was the day of Pentecost, a major feast. And they're in the temple. And what happens? The glory of God appears. Fire comes down like the pillar of fire of God's presence during Exodus and above the tabernacle, like the fire that came down when Solomon finished praying and dedicating the temple. God was again present. Anybody from Israel would have been able to recognize this. Something is happening here. There's a sound of a rushing mighty wind. There's a presence in the temple. And then fire is coming down from heaven. And he is again dwelling. But how is he dwelling this time? Is it by way of the Holy of Holies? Where we can't even go in because of the glory of God? No, how is it it happening? By way of what? The Spirit sent into our hearts, the spirit of the living Christ, sent into the hearts, the fleshy hearts of human beings so God can now take up his abode again. Only it's no longer just those who are in the lineage of Abraham by birth. It's those who are children of Abraham by faith. Faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ and through the spirit of the living God. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 2, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The promise that Ezekiel made that I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you came on the day of Pentecost in the first century and the glory of God returned. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, light, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians 6, 14 again. And I want you to think about these promises again that God says. Why, don't, why should we be separate, not yoked together with the chaos of the world, not including our lives anymore in the kingdoms of this world? Why should we come out from, on the, from that and enter into the kingdom of his dear son, which he has been able to transfer to us by way of the Spirit? Why should we take our intentions, our hearts, our wills, Make them fleshy hearts willing to do what he commanded us to do in Christ. Why should we do that? Well, because because we are being built together as a temple of the living God. And so since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You see, beginning with God's desire to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, 
and continuing through God's saving acts to redeem a people for himself. The scriptures unfold a story of redemption wherein God has worked to create anew so that he may once again dwell with humanity. This new creation started with God giving a son to Abraham and Sarah. It continued through his covenant with Israel and his presence returning in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The promise of God's presence is a major theme of the scriptures, and it's God's purpose of the ages. And it has come to fruition in the temple presence of God among his people, for we are the temple of the living God. Turn to 1 Peter 2.5, or you can look at it on the wall, I think. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you see again how this is all being connected to the dwelling place of God? We are, we are living stones in a spiritual house. So let's think about this. Each of us is only one stone that's being built into the spiritual house, a temple for God. In ourselves, we can only offer what our particular stone must do within this enormous thing called the body of Christ, the temple of God. Think about a cathedral that they built hundreds of years ago, and it took 400 years to build a cathedral, hundreds of years. Imagine being a stonecutter working on a cathedral. There is no way you're working on your stone that you can imagine how this stone is going to make any difference <laughs> in this ginormous cathedral. And you're not, you're not going to be around to see it in any case. But you're working on your stone because that's what you do. And it's what we do. We don't have to worry about what this whole thing is going to look like at the end and how our particular stone fits in it. That is God's building. And it's being built by the wise master builder, and he's already laid the cornerstone for it, which is Jesus Christ. And you can't build on this thing except on that cornerstone. Anything else you build isn't going to get that reward for something done in your body in the current time that has eternal value. If we want that then we have to build on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And we should just think about, well, what have I been called to carve here? What, is my, what, what has God equipped me? Remember back to when they were building the tabernacle, right? And those two guys were given the Spirit of God, and they had all sorts of skills and abilities. And then they were tasked to do this tabernacle according to God's design. That's us. What are your skills and abilities? I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing, if you try to be somebody else in what you're carving here, you will fail. And not only will you fail in doing that, you will miss out on the opportunity and the calling of God himself who has already made a path for you to walk in and knows who you are. He saw you knit together in your mother's womb. He knows your capacities and your abilities. So we should just relax and we should enjoy doing what we're supposed to be doing as living stones being built together into a house of God. Each of us has a life that God has called. We are each equally important to his ultimate plan for assembling human hearts into an eternal temple by which God will once again and eternally dwell 
with human beings. He is pleased to dwell among us, and through the Spirit of Christ in us, he works to form our hearts into the masterpieces that he has called us to be. It is the artistic production of your life as a fellow laborer with God. Let him do his work and enjoy the work he gives you to do. And that's all we have to do. This is how it can be fun. You know? Now, I mean, really, <laughs> it should be actually a lot of fun. But what happens is we tend to get burdened many times with, what, well, we should be doing more. Maybe I should be doing, maybe, maybe I could be more like this guy. Maybe we could have a ministry like those people with thousands of people in our church, or like these people who are overseas doing missionary or whatever. I, you know, I am so blessed that the body of Christ is filled with living stones over the entire earth, millions of fleshy hearts that God can work in to do things in every aspect of life, in every culture, in every society, and build up a place for him to dwell. We are part of that. And we should just relax into that and realize we're part of his plan in his story. Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom, all, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And I would like to close by reading together Ephesians chapter 3. And I want you to think about this now in light of our sweep of history and who you are. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. By the church, his wisdom can be made known. Why? Because we're lively stones being built into his temple. And this was according to the eternal purpose, that is literally the purpose of the ages, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. And according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts 
through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that, what's this next phrase? You may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory, glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen and amen. Thank you. Great word, Dr. Carter.